everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Our co-host for today, as you will soon hear, has a very impressive resume. Liz Hanna is a writer for film and television who has two major shows on Hulu right now based on true stories of complicated, let's say, complicated women. The Dropout, a limited series which just aired its finale, and The Girl from Plainville, which just premiered last week. So, Amanda Seyfried, Charlize Theron, Elle Fanning, Meryl Streep, Liz Hanna's work has showcased some of the greatest blonde actors living today, and honestly, some just straight-up legends. You look at her filmography, and it's kind of like, how is this all hits, no skips? Like, this is kind of wild. Uh, but then after our conversation, I will have one quick thing to say before I go, as I always do. And this time, it will be about one of my favorite little details concerning the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. But right now, it's time to get to our conversation with Liz. I have a people's champion in the house with me today to co-host this episode with me. Uh, if you're a person on Twitter who likes film and television, you might be very familiar with my co-host today. If you are a person who likes film and television, you are likely familiar with my co-host today. She is a writer. She is a producer. She uh, is responsible for writing The Post. She is a writer on the, uh, I think, the highest praised scammer show of the year, The Dropout. She <laughs> is the, I think it's co-showrunner of the new series, The Girl from Plainville. Um, written for Mindhunter, worked with the likes of David Fincher, Steven Spielberg, Liz Hanna. Did I leave out anything top line that the people should know about you before we get started? I don't think so. That was fantastic. I'm going to have you come for every introduction. It was wonderful. <laughs> I am a hype man in by I'm my really, nature. I'm really, that was phenomenal. Thank you so much. <laughs> what a concentration of good stuff like what a run Liz thanks it happens when you're very afraid you're never going to get a job again so you you uh and and frankly have like a really uh unbelievable run of luck of people I've worked with so it was uh it was a good it's been a good couple years yeah because I I didn't even I I I failed to even mention the beloved rom-com long shot starring Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen Thank you. I love that movie. That movie, Dan Sterling, my co-writer, who, uh, who it was his movie. He wrote it 10 years before I came on board. Um, it, that was such a fun movie. I love rom-coms. We don't get enough rom-coms. Pro, pro rom-coms. You know, we're going to get to the subject matter at hand, but I think, you know, we've been talking about perhaps a rom-com renaissance for I feel like a number of years now. And I, I feel like Netflix streaming services have become a good place for there to be a slight resurgence. But I also think like, Our peer group, our sort of generational era, we were the people raised in that heyday of the 90s rom-com. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that really does bode well for a true rom-com renaissance at like an A-lister participation level because the people who grew up on things like erotic thrillers and rom-coms in the 90s are the people who now have the pull and prestige to be like, I want to make this kind of movie. I mean, the Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie is basically Romancing the Stone. Yep. Like, yep. I'm surprised that I haven't seen more of a discourse about that. A friend of mine, Jenny Connor, and I have for years been like, how do we make a new Romancing the Stone? Yeah. And we're like, do we just remake it? Like, it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, everybody should check it out. It's uh-huh. incredible. Um, and then we saw the trailer for <laughs> this movie and we were like, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> cool. Got it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the fun thing about Longshot was um, when I came onto that, we were, you know, Dan had written it 10 years earlier before he'd, like, been married and had kids. and mm-hmm. And so... We were kind of updating it just to, you know, where all of us were in our lives. And we were trying to figure out how to do that. You know, rom-coms have really taken a hit yeah. in the last 20 years. They basically were unmakeable. Mm-hmm. And we kind of would sit around at lunch and talk about our spouses. I I was engaged at the time. Um, Seth's been married for 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Levine, the director, has been married. And we were sitting around the table, like, talking about how lucky we were that our spouses were still married to us, or in my case, marrying me. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I had just done the post and was had rolled right into this. I hadn't been home. I was, like, just forget planning wow. a wedding. I was, like, that's not a thing that's happening. Uh-huh. My husband was working, same thing. And so it kind of became a love letter to our spouses, to, like, people that – and and I think there was something interesting about that of 
of how people related to that. It, it kind of became about marrying your best friend mm-hmm. rather than sort of, I think, how a lot of the newer rom-coms were very out there, you know, mm-hmm. and very kind of fantastical. And this was just, I mean, given she does some ecstasy and then <laughs> has a hostage negotiation. Yeah. But, you know, that's only fantastical for some people. For some people, that's true. For a, for a small niche, I- relatable content. Relatable Super content. Super relatable content. Yeah. I will I will now uh, bring us on to topic on the very, <laughs> my very own show that I have completely submarined at the start of this to say, Liz, what is the character in the movie that you have brought for us to discuss today on the Feeling Scene pod? It is Marion Ravenwood oh. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was so excited when this was relayed over the transom. Mm-hmm. What a meaty character to get to talk about. It's I love Marion. I've talked about Marion for years. She's was for me when I was growing up, it was the first time I ever saw a woman on screen who was sexy and a badass mm. and funny and and like made mistakes and yeah. you kind of were like, ooh. Ooh, that's a choice you made. You know, she wasn't Marion is messy. Marion is messy. She's messy. <laughs> messy. And um, I remember being like, that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I, 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 but she was the first time I really saw, you know, in an action movie, somebody that seemed real, that mm-hmm. was a woman. And it was really exciting. And so um, team, team Marion all the way. I actually have a group chat that with two friends of mine that the, group title is Team Marion. <laughs> so there you go. Now did you what is the age that you first encountered her at? I was probably like six or seven. Oh, wow. I, okay. I my parents my parents are really big film buffs. Mm. My mom in particular, a huge, huge film buff. And so we just watched movies all the time. Mm-hmm. And she loved the Indiana Jones movies. And I think I was I would have been, it came out, the first movie came out in 84, so I was probably, I, she showed it to me in the early 90s. Gotcha, so yeah, because okay. I, I probably, I think I saw Last Crusade in theaters, which was 89. Mm, okay. um, so um, I would have watched them around then. And, you know, the first thing we see of Marion is she's in like a shots contest with a man in this her This says bar. a lot about me. <laughs> as a, a six year old, I was like, her. Yeah. Yes, that, that one. That's that's my icon. And, <laughs> you know, like you said, like, I've been having conversations about Marion for so long. How How has that conversation developed over time? Because obviously when you're six, you're maybe not clocking the, like, she's fucking, she's fighting, she's all of these things. Yeah. But she's just really obviously cool. And she runs out yes. to Jones at the end of the fight with the Nazis and she's like, I'm your goddamn partner. Like, she, yeah. he comes to her and he's like, I need this relic and she's like, no, screw you. I don't have it either. And then they get in a fight with Nazis because the Nazis are looking for the same treasure. And then at the end of the fight, she runs out. She's got it in her hand. She's like, you're not just taking this from me. You're not buying it off of me. We're in on this. 50-50 me and mm-hmm. you. And that is... A pretty goddamn cool way to meet this character who's going to kind of be like the fun center of chaos throughout the rest of the thing. There's this amazing book because I'm also I'm like a humongous Indiana Jones nerd. Mm. Uh, My dog's name is Jones. Yeah, Jones the dog. Um, Jones the dog Uh, will not be making an appearance today. Um, (laughs) She is she's uh, taking care of baby. She's on babysitter (laughs) duty. Um, but there's this amazing book about the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they talk about when Spielberg um, and Karen Allen were uh, on set for that day mm-hmm. for the drinking. And I think there had been there was a there was a, a different scene written that was Marion's introduction, mm. and they decided that this would be the introduction scene, like on the day. Mm-hmm. There's something about there's some truth to that version of the story. And they were workshopping the scene and there was like a, I think there was a lot of lead up to it. Instead, it just, they cut like most of the scene and it just became her going shot for shot and doing this drinking game. Uh-huh. And so as a kid, like watching that and then as a teenager and et cetera, not being like as a human being not involved in the industry, I'm just like, it's such a badass. I love that she can stand her own, mm-hmm. that she's like going shot for shot, but then she, it's all about like her own. She's a, look, she's a businesswoman. She's a businesswoman. So, like, it's all about her small own business. <laughs> like it's a family owned business. And, you know, she's really just got to pay, got to pay the bills. Um, but then, as you said, like Indy comes in and she holds her own and she goes toe to toe with him. And then as like a writer and a filmmaker, I just love the idea that, 
they cut an entire introduction scene and we're just like, no, this is way better because it's so right. It's iconic. We all know it. Um, and I just like it's kind of ballsy to do that. What don't you learn about her in that moment exactly. that could have been you you would have you would have learned in another scene. She's a small business owner. <laughs> she's very clever about her drinking. She knows when she's had too much and she knows when the person she's drinking with has had too much so she can go toe to toe with him. She does not accept any bullshit from an ex-boyfriend. Nope. Like I'm all in. Do you know what you did to me in my life? I can only say I'm sorry so many times. <laughs> we'll say it again anyway. Sorry. Yeah, everybody's sorry. Abner was sorry for dragging me all over this earth looking for his little bits of junk. I'm sorry to still be stuck in this dive. Everybody's sorry for something. I will say questionable age difference. Yes, yes. But we've all dated older men when we're younger or older anybody when you're younger. Right. And, you know, it's we make questionable choices. Which, and which is exactly how you end up in this situation where you're screaming at a man who comes to see you years later and you're like, I was in love with you. Like, uh, that's, you know, that's the natural progress. And I love that because like, Raiders, obviously the story of Raiders is there is the lost Ark of the Covenant and Nazis wish to recover the Ark, I would imagine, I think to be a weapon in the service of the Fuhrer. And yeah, it's basically a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a weapon of mass destruction. And Dr. Jones, being an archaeologist, a a, wants to preserve it for history and B wants to keep it out of the hands of Nazis and so him and his assorted uh, gang of supporters including Marion end up going uh, fist like dukes up with the Nazis to keep this out of their hands um, and adventure and wonderfulness uh, carry forth why don't you tell me where the piece is right now listen Air Mac I don't know what kind of people you're used to dealing with Nobody tells me what to do in my place. When did you start writing stories? When did you start making characters of your own? Um, I don't remember. I was always doing it. Okay. I was always writing short stories. I was I was always telling stories. I have a really funny um thing my dad gave me years ago. I think I probably around the time I sold the post, he had this framed thing of I gave a speech about, or I prepared a speech to give to like my kindergarten class about dogs <laughs> and what the different what different kinds of dogs there were, and I typed it up. And in it, I also was like, "Please raise your hand if you have to go to the bathroom," because I knew that like people would be so enthralled by my speech that I would have to conduct obviously, yes, you know, when people could leave and could not leave, absolutely. Um, but so. I don't know. I I remember like creative writing as a kid. Mm -hmm. I don't have a date, but I didn't really think about being a writer professionally until I was in my mid twenties and I was already in a in another career. I was working as a development executive. Right, you were like a, a producing company. track, right? Yeah, I had gone to AFI for producing, and really thought that's what I was going to do. I thought, um, I, I mean, I really loved producing, but it just wasn't fulfilling to me in, mm -hmm. in a way. I really wanted to write. I had always thought like, wow, if I could do that, that would be amazing. I mean, I looked up to writers and I just didn't think I was good enough to do mm -hmm. it. And then I worked long enough in the industry that I was like, I think I should try this. I just, I think if I don't try it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I, I'm gonna regret it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that was that. And then I left my job, um, Almost 10 years ago now. Um, and here we are. It's gone okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's gone all I right. Do not regret the choice. I will say the first three years where I, I left my job and I was like, this will happen fast. And then um, <laughs> that did not. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in retrospect, obviously, it, it, it happened very quickly and I was very fortunate. But um, those first three years, brutal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Terrifying. When you started, when you, when you when you started doing this, was there a gap between, you know, could be any character, but like, but was there a, a gap between what you saw in female characters and what you wanted from female characters? And you were like, I just, it's it's missing something, or it's missing me, or like like, I feel like I'm yeah. being pandered to. Like, was there was there a distance there that it was like, oh, fine, I'll fucking write it. Yeah, I would say yes in what I was seeing. I would say even yes in my own work. Yeah, you know, yeah. when I first Ooh. when I first started writing professionally or or trying to be a professional writer, um, I was just writing what I thought people wanted to read. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like get information about what people were quote unquote buying and and what people were interested in buying and things like that. And I would write to that and I was 
not really listening to what I wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. so the post was actually the first thing I sold. And I wrote it on spec um, because I was like, if if it doesn't sell, if I don't, I didn't even think it was going to sell. I was (laughs) like, I wanted an agent. And so if I if I didn't get an agent or it didn't get me to the next step, I was going to go back to producing exclusively mm-hmm. um, or try to go back to producing exclusively. And part of it was really about Kay Graham and her being a character I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't really seen um, a woman on screen who was so vulnerable in that way mm-hmm. at, at as a 55-year-old, yeah. you know, somebody who was so um, insecure and and – um, that really the story was almost a coming-of-age story of her finding her voice of really, you know, we see coming-of-age stories of 18-year-olds. We don't see them of grown-ups, and I feel like I'm on the verge of a coming-of-age story again right now of my own. <laughs> so, you know, it's I think I think that that was really interesting to me. I, I felt like I hadn't seen a woman like that that felt honestly insecure, honestly vulnerable, um, and that's all – you know, Kay, it's obviously a biopic. It's all Kay Graham in real life. And that was what attracted to me, attracted me to her, tell her story in the first place. So yes, going to your question, it absolutely was motivating for me that I hadn't seen somebody that felt like me, that mm-hmm. felt like, you know, it's okay to be insecure. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay for all these things because they're real mm-hmm. and and you just have to overcome them, you know, for lack of a better word or or learn to to make them, you know, your superpower. How now? I feel like it helps to have an access point of like this real figure, like a, a towering figure. Writing the post was not an mm-hmm. easy thing, but like mm-hmm. with that, you have a framework to be like, okay, I have I have a biography I can work from. I, I have accounts. I have this mm-hmm. real person. You know, having done that, did you? How was the process of like integrating that into your like original character creation? Mm-hmm. Or like, was it you know like you said having to sort of learn or unlearn either the things we think are expected of us or the things that Mm -hmm. other people want that we should work towards or perhaps even the limits we internalize on how to even write women as women compared Mm -hmm. to like what we've seen or what we were raised on like was that a kind of learning process in and of itself or or not totally totally i mean i think long shots are really good reference points for that you know i and and i that's i can't take credit for creating that character that was a really a, a a group group think effort mm-hmm. on 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 Charlize's character and but something that I found really interesting about myself was I was sort of writing her sometimes in ways in early drafts that were more cliched or stereotypical um in terms of her journey in terms of where she was of what her struggles were uh, and you know we would have long conversations sort of of like well what is the challenge for her and and kind of the challenge is ultimately in the movie is like the challenge is is her and the challenge is like, yeah, it's fucking hard to be a woman in the position of power, yeah. period. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't actually need any other thing that's challenging. That is challenging in and of itself. Right. And we sort of don't talk about that enough, you know, that there's always, you know, I, I think we tried to put a family element in there at some <laughs> point and like, she, you know, like there's all this, you know, it's like the daddy issue or, yeah. you know, um, whatever it is. And it's like, no, actually it's just hard enough to believe in yourself and to bet on yourself as a woman in a position of power. Um, so that was definitely a situation where I was, you know, very much skewing in a, in a direction that was learned, that mm-hmm. was, that was seen, you know, from how we represent women on screen or how I'd, seen um women represented in television or even real women represented in the media of like you know how we we interpret their struggles and i was very much pushed um rightfully so by all of the collaborators on that movie to be like no it's just you know it just fucking sucks to be the woman (laughs) in power sometimes (laughs) well yeah there's that that part where it's like you know you've been a great secretary of state yeah <laughs> like ooh, which which one like you know, <laughs> the whole thing and i that you know to take it to a thing that i really like about marion ravenwood is that she is she's very much doing the thing of like have the confidence of a mediocre white man like yes marion not even like a strong white man no just a mediocre white man no she's not yes. a, she's not a mastermind she's not no. she's not physically going to overpower like 
nope. any like the men in the room who are trained killers and soldiers. But she has mm-hmm. such an unshakable faith that she should like be in the middle of everything that's going down. Like Indy <laughs> in one scene is physically like it's one of the climactic fight scenes. He's physically throwing her back and forth. Mm-hmm. Marion, get out of here. And she just yeah. keeps running herself back into the middle of conflict, holding a pot or some metal thing. And it's just- I mean, she gets shoved into a laundry basket. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's like not a great look. She, she also brings the Nazi monkey into their lives. She you does. Know, it's, it's tough look. It's a tough look. <laughs> but yeah, I love, the idea that she has like the 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 confidence of a mediocre white man which is like truthfully that's more confidence than i think i've ever had in my entire life (laughs) it's a special kind of confidence it really is so there is something very interesting about her in that way um but yeah no it's true i mean but that's the thing that i think is funny about her and what i love about her is it's not like she's a superhero no you know she doesn't I mean, it's the thing I always love about Indiana Jones, too, is, like, he gets the shit kicked out of him, and he's like, ouch. (laughs) Yes. Hurts. Wow. Well, goddammit, anywhere doesn't it hurt? Here. I love that he's human, that, like, he has scars, and Harrison Ford is truly one of history's foremost actors in looking really fucking overwhelmed in the moment. And (laughs) looking overwhelmed, (laughs) looking like, do I really have to do this again? Yeah. Truthfully. (laughs) There's a great moment in The Last Crusade where they're like, let's go, and he's like, oh. Like, you can just feel him palpably be like, this is, can we just take a break? This is so hard. And... Um, there's something amazing about Marion being a part of that mm-hmm. and being, you know, I, even the sort of when they're dealing with the stakes and everything, like the blind kind of like, you're taking care of this, right? Yeah. Like it's, there's something amazing <laughs> about, like, I'm definitely not doing this. No, I'll save, I've saved, I saved myself from the very scary hostage situation I'm in. <laughs> yeah. You're saving us from this. Thank you so much. <laughs> working on it i'm working on it whatever you're doing do it faster we adore her and we love her and we think of her as this ass-kicking figure because she is and it is also true that like kind of nothing she plans goes right like you said she ends up in a laundry basket he thinks she's gotten blown up she's in she's having drinks uh in the tent with one of the like head nazi guys and he starts like she thinks she's really playing her feminine wiles on this one and she's going to seduce her way out of this tent. And he he tells her to put on the white dress and she thinks she's got it eating out of the palm of her hand. Beautiful. I would very much like to see you in it. <laughs> A better one. And then she's just, like, doubled down, like, extra prisoner after this. She gets found out. Like, there's nothing slick about her. And I love that that doesn't dampen her enthusiasm for anything she throws herself (laughs) into for the entire movie. It's accurate. I want to, like, I want to be somebody who learns my lessons in life, but, like, also doesn't, like, take them to the letter. Like, we can have some creative problem solving here that I just haven't thought through yet. Look, I jumped in feet first and <laughs> it didn't go great, but it's it's okay. We're going to figure it out. I mean, she does get her money and her citizenship back in the end. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. which is, so, you know, she did win ultimately. But yeah, it was, it was, I think calling her messy is the best way yeah. to talk about it. It's like, I also like the idea that she's, She's not really a damsel in distress, but she is because she kind of gets herself out of it. But she's like, I'm really good. I mean, here's the thing. I'm all about subverting all gender stereotypes. Let's get rid of them and all that. I also fully admit we started this by saying, like, I'm having technical issues. And (laughs) that means that my husband's day has been bad. Yeah. Like, I'm also (laughs) very comfortable being like, guess what? Not my job right now. This is for someone else. And I got to admit, I love it about Mary that she's like, Guess what, Brad? Not my job. Like, yeah. you're handling the snakes. That's just, you're going to deal with it. We should be that's, able to choose the gender roles we would like to dip in and I'm, out of. Yes, I'm so down for it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and I, and like, she chooses when she's like, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. And other times she's like, Guess what? Tap in, my man. I'm tapping out. Thank you so much. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Liz Hanna. Hey, were you a reader as a kid? Like maybe you read a lot of fantasy novels? 
or horse girl books. We know how it is. But now you're an adult and you miss reading. You're so busy and you can't figure out how to get back into books. We're Reading Glasses and we're here to help. Yeah, we'll give you advice to figure out what books you love or learn to stop reading books you don't even like. We're really big proponents of dumping that book. Dump that book. But most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. (laughs) Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. (laughs) Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I'm talking with screenwriter Liz Hanna, who is the co-creator and co-showrunner of The Girl from Plainville, which stars Elle Fanning as Michelle Carter, the real-life teenager who was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in the death of her boyfriend under really crazy circumstances. So let's get back to that right now. As a, as a creator and as somebody who makes really fucking high-profile high stuff, like, you know, and, and uh, with, you know, with uh, the, girl from, the girl from Plainville, with the dropout, you have these characters based on real, real girls, real girls and women who came to national and media attention not as heroes. And mm-hmm. it is your job to create a story around them that doesn't, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily say takes a side about them, but makes them human and nuanced enough for us to invest over the course of the long haul of a series and not be like, that's a bitch, hate her, she's a bad, like, we have to go on a trip with these people mm-hmm. and be conflicted about our feelings about them because that's drama, that's that's narrative. And so, you know, and in the year of 2020, when we're subverting things, but also should have the freedom to choose traditional, like, all about just sort of coming down to choice, that feels like a lo- that seems like a big evolving responsibility in your hands to be like, okay, mm. I'm going to make a new heroine, but also I am going to make sure that this is a believable person and I'm not going to girl boss mm. it, but I'm going to give her agency. Like, not that all the any of these things are bad, but like this is a more of a juggling act than we've been allowed. It's a good juggling act. More of a juggling act than we've been allowed mm-hmm. to do with non-male, mm. non, you know, and, and oftentimes non-straight characters, non-cis characters. What is that like, kind of writing the modern heroine, the modern anti-heroine? Sure. I think, well, I think anti-heroine is really interesting. I also think the the thing that we've been taught about female characters, I think, in particular, is that we have to like them, is that an audience has to like them. Right. And 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 if the audience doesn't like them, then they're not going to buy in, which is absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, we've seen a a plethora of film and television uh, projects be successful because we don't like mm-hmm. the main character that's male. Um, I think that what's interesting about Marion in this conversation is there is actually not a we don't worry about liking her. It does not no. feel like to me the filmmakers are are worried about liking her. Yeah. She's actually she does some fairly unlikable things. She's pretty selfish constantly. Yeah. Like and, she's getting and, indie shit the whole time. And you're kind of on his side. You're like, all right, let's chill. Yeah. You know, like I so I um so I think that is potentially like a uh something that I subconsciously was very attracted to from her as a as a kid and growing up and then have carried that into my work. Mm-hmm. Um as I just I really don't care if an audience likes my characters. Mm. It's just not or the characters I'm writing. I just don't think that's something that um you can get distracted by. And and when talking about Elizabeth Holmes from The Dropout or Michelle Carter it was actually interesting. It was almost easier because I knew going in that nobody was going to like them. Right. Like I knew going in that an audience is not 
as it's like if an audience knows anything about um right. Michelle Michelle Carter in particular uh-huh. um in terms of what the media story is that's out there about her mm-hmm. then I'm I'm pretty sure that the majority of the audience is not going to like her. Uh-huh. Um and and so that is a little freeing in some ways because you you don't have to you don't have to work at that. You know, you mm-hmm. you there's something I'm not at all worried that an audience is going to do that. To me, it's much more about empathy. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think the difference there is that I don't have to like Elizabeth Holmes and I don't have to condone what she did mm-hmm. and I don't have to um, even really explain it in any way. But if I can empathize with her and see her as a human and see the, the human choices she's made and see, if not why she made the choices, like what what made her tick mm-hmm. a little bit, um, then I think I've done my job. And I think if an audience can put themselves in her shoes um, and see the complexity of her life a little bit more than mm-hmm. what we thought there was, mm-hmm. uh, then then there's more to crack there. Um, and similarly with Michelle, you know, I think Michelle, I, I, I think there's less out there in the public about Michelle than there ever has been about Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. And, and I, and, and obviously Michelle has never spoken and the Carter family has never given, given an interview. So there's, there's so little of, of who, she, if there's anything of who she really is out there, the way that we've interpreted, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for anybody else. The way I interpreted her was, was through how she dressed in court, right. how she behaved in court, what, the media would say about her, how she's depicted as this black widow, to realize that I accepted that without any other side. Mm-hmm. There was there was no side, let alone um, somebody popping up and agreeing mm-hmm. even with that that knew her. There's no there's nothing out there about her uh-huh. um, from from her family or her perspective, and so that I think was really interesting. And and again, this doesn't go to the case. It doesn't go to um uh, uh uh condoning or or litigating what she did mm-hmm. um it just goes to her as a human and i thought that was in so that was an interesting challenge for michelle in that i knew people were going to come to the table with this show of really not liking michelle yeah. of of at, at, at potentially having even stronger feelings towards her and having the challenge of just look at her as a human just look at her choices as 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 a human and um, if not her choices, her, her, just who she is and her life and, um, come with a little bit more empathy. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, the very short version of the long-winded answer is I just don't, men don't seem to give a shit if people like them. Yeah. So again, with the confidence of a mediocre white man, <laughs> yeah. I don't care if people like the characters on screen. I do think ultimately there's still a desire to not villainize women in any way or, mm. or, to um, complicate the idea of, a, of what even villainizing women means. Right. I, I, I think, you know, I think Elizabeth Holmes and Michelle Carter both were vilified in the media and ha- have been and right or wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't, just don't typically talk about men that way. Mm-hmm. And and we definitely um, don't talk about their looks as much as, as both of those women yeah. have, have yes. been talked about. And so... I think that's, and, you know, look at Monica Lewinsky, look at Britney Spears, mm-hmm. look at all, you know, there's a, an attr- attraction to messiness, um, but I think we're still working on it, you know. A thing that I've been thinking about, like, watching, rewatching Raiders again for the purposes of this conversation is there is a fascinating sort of pocket of action cinema history with, like, the the action mm-hmm. heroine, which, like, in a mm-hmm. loose sense, like, Marion Ravenwood, in the way that we could have an action totally. heroine at that time, like, I think falls under that category. And there is this really interesting, like, small groove. I almost consider it, like, this safe space where kind of, like, the best thing you could be in the biggest action movies for a while was, like, Tom Cruise's sidekick. Like, mm-hmm. if you could be mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's sidekick in his action movie as a woman, you were going to be not sexually objectified. You were going to do mm-hmm. the coolest fucking things. You were going to have him, like, treat you with respect. You were going to be in probably one of the biggest movies that was going to come out that year. And there was something satisfying about watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and being, like, really feeling like I was seeing an action-supporting female character in a Steven Spielberg movie where I knew she was going to be safe. Like, even if she's mm-hmm. not the front and center part of the story, 
I know that this filmmaker is going to take care of her and not be interested in exploiting her in ways that I would be nervous about in the Mm -hmm. hands of like a lot of other filmmakers where women were not necessarily a premium action draw at the time if they weren't like, you know, lower, like kind of future video on demand, like Cynthia Rothrock, Michelle Yeoh doing work over in in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think you were talking about collaborators earlier and the like, you know, you're really good, but ending up with really good collaborators is a good fucking stroke of luck. It's too. the it's it's yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing in my career that I can be thankful for are the people that I've worked with because that's you don't you don't go anywhere without it. I just want to touch upon what you're saying because I think it was really eloquent and something I hadn't thought about. It's not in that way, but there's something um like as a woman at least or speaking for myself mm. watching a woman in an action movie or in in anything like this and there's just a constant fear of like oh god what's going to happen to them yeah, or like yeah. oh what's their or like even what's their traumatic backstory yes. that's going to influence this yes and and that the 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 backstory of trauma is something that I am like very knee jerk no to mm-hmm. in terms of not every woman look like I think every woman has some trauma in our sure, life because sure, sure. we're women and it's just traumatic in general. But I I I don't know that I need to see on screen constantly mm-hmm. the trauma that that women have been subjected to mm-hmm. and um, the violence that women have been subjected to to like overcome that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know that you have to be powerful as a woman or see a, a powerful woman. I here's here's what I'll say. I don't know that you have to represent powerful women on screen as them having overcome something. Right. I think you can just have a powerful woman on screen because mm-hmm. you don't have to have, Indiana Jones did not have to overcome something to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. He just is Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I think seeing that you know Marion was not somebody who had trauma. There's not there's not something disgust of this horrific thing you know her dad's an asshole yeah. and indy dated her and like he's and he a terrible was, ex-boyfriend and he was a fuck boy yeah and he's and by the way indy get it yeah but like if, <laughs> not gonna lie he's but got clearance if, it's fine it's fine no no, no judgment mm-hmm. but the idea that we don't have to delve into and and what made me think about it is i'm like a humongous fan of the mission impossible Macquarie movies oh he, yeah like a like preach preach at the altar and Rebecca Ferguson who plays um Il- Ilsa Faust, Ilsa in, Faust. Oh. like I could talk about Ilsa Faust for hours and, <laughs> yeah. and she she for me is sort of like the modern Marion Ravenwood like mm. she has kind of become that but we know very very little about her yeah and it's totally fine like <laughs> yeah. I watched that I watched Rogue Nation and I was like Fuck yeah, where's her movie? Yeah. Let's, I'm in. Why did it take this long to figure this out? And she sort of has become like the co-lead of these movies now because her, she's just so attractive as a character. Oh, God. So I, 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 I'm all in on this conversation and think it's really important about in action films, in, in high budget movies, we can have strong women and not have conversations about what they overcame to be strong. Right. They are strong. Yeah. It's, it's, we are as, guess what? If you're a woman, you are strong because it's really fucking hard to be a woman. Yeah. So just period. Yeah. It's, so we it's don't have to like now, go into it. And now is better than before, I think. Exactly. In a lot of ways. Yes. So however mm-hmm. difficult it is now, and I say from the privileged position of, like, my whiteness and my middle classness, like, whatever challenges are evident in my life, turn the clock back any time before. <laughs> and it's oh, like, yeah. oh, fuck, it's worse now? <laughs> yeah. 100%. I mean, again, yeah, I say this from total privilege of... Yeah. Uh, of a white cis woman and that it's it's and it's really hard (laughs) and so i think i think it's and and you look at any other perspective and it's it's harder exponentially so i don't know that like i live that everybody lives that yeah we don't need to i don't need to spend 24 dollars to go watch an action movie (laughs) and like live it again or sit in fear of what's going to happen i i just think that what you said is actually really profound and it's sort of sticking with me. It's like, I had never considered how safe it makes me feel to watch a female character handled mm-hmm. 
where I'm not worried about what's going to happen to them. Isn't that a phenomenal thing when you realize that you had been tensing up your shoulders and then you only realize Mm -hmm. that you had been because you stop and then you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I wasn't okay before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to not do that, I mean, and by the way, this is also the conversation of having women behind the camera because I, I generally feel much better when I know that there is a woman behind the camera telling a story of a woman because I'm not super worried about, you know, the 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 safety of those characters. So anyways, I thought that was a really important point you brought up. I, re- I think it's really smart. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, and for my for just my own selfish desire as a as a fan, what is the collaborative magic between you and Elle Fanning? You're back for a repeat with Girl from Plainville. You'd previously written, I believe, it was All the Bright Places with her and Justice mm-hmm. Smith. What is mm-hmm. what is that uh, collaborative? What is that synergy with one of my favorite actresses? Well, she's one of my favorite actresses, so that's a good synergy to start with. Yes. Great start. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Great start is from there. I've known Elle and Dakota for a while. We have the same manager, and um, I've known Dakota for longer. And um, when Bright Places came about, uh, it was the first time I met Elle. And um, she'd never really played a teenager on screen. Yeah. Like she's, you know, for somebody who's been around <laughs> for as long as she has, she actually had never played a sort of a normal high school student. Right, yeah. Um, Teen girl who's been eaten by other women, done that. But like being in that. high yeah. school, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine the Great, been there, done that. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Um, but so, you know, and and all the bright places was for a number of reasons, um, and actually very similar to Girl from Plainville, dealt with conversations about mental health and suicide and um, grief, mm-hmm. and those are things that thematically I'm very interested in exploring. Um, and so, the, on that side, I was really fascinated by that, and it was there were conversations in that that Elle and I had that I thought were, we had um, a real chance at sort of diving into a character yeah. in a way that was was different but the thing for me about leaning into that movie and then to to jumping onto Plainville with her was that she's not afraid she's completely fearless Mm -hmm. and so there are choices that we made in Plainville that we just wouldn't have made if it wasn't Elle right yeah because she both pushed us to be to go darker or weirder or deeper and at the same time, I felt comfortable doing that because she was doing it. And mm-hmm. I knew that she could do it because she's L. Um, and having said that, like, I also, being a, a very big part of the fan club, am, I'm excited for people to see this because I think she's so good and so consistently good that we're like, well, because she's L, she's good. Yeah. And it's almost <laughs> become backlash at this point, you know, where it's like, it's, it's people just expect her to be yeah. good. And... I don't know that then there's a full appreciation for like how difficult it is or how hard she works because uh-huh. you're just like it's so easy for her to it seems so easy for her and and knowing that it's not and particularly I think with this role um and this character she really I mean she there's a scene at the end of the pilot that you guys can all watch at nine o'clock tonight apparently um, <laughs> that is one of the hardest things I've ever asked an actor to do, if not the hardest thing I've ever asked an actor to do. And Elle spent, uh, I think it was about four or five weeks after we wrapped shooting every day practicing it. Um, And... It's it's really it's really impressive, and so I'm just really excited for that. But the reason I keep coming back is because if Elle, you know, wants to work with you, and it, you, you do it, <laughs> you don't say no. If Elle Fanning asked me to drive her car for her, I'd do it. I mean, fuck, like, yeah. This leads me to the thing I I wanted to, I think, ask you toward the last is in that spirit of collaborators, and then in that spirit of being able to through the right collaborators push your own limits like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done this if I didn't have this specific actress working with me because I knew she could do it and I knew that it was Mm -hmm. safe for me to do it Mm -hmm. how like through through your successes and and obviously through like you know the failures and things that didn't happen that nobody knows about Mm because they didn't go anywhere where do you see yourself wanting to push your own bar continuing to Mm -hmm. go forward to sort of dare us as viewers to consider 
more challenging as normal. Like where mm-hmm. where to make like space for like the Marion Ravenwoods of of for Gen Z who have the luxury perhaps of taking for granted the Marion Ravenwoods mm-hmm. of the world. Like how do you want to how do you want to scare yourself next with like a thing you're going to do? I mean, the the truthful answer is that I want to do Marion. I want to write I want to write and direct a, a a movie that is the you know, love letter to that character. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, that's, I mean, it's really, <laughs> truthfully, I've never written an action movie. Um, I want I, everyone to I, write action movies. I want everyone to write action movies and horror movies. Please do this for us, Liz. Everyone should write action movies. It's like, I've written action, I've written action sequences and it's always so fun. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's truthfully, I, I don't think that there has been a lead action heroine that I have seen that, that feels like a, something that, is the most maybe um, matured version of Marion in mm. in twenty twenty two. Still keep her messy. Still keep her messy. Yes, yes. Gotta keep her messy. But um, and and that's not a knock on on the female heroines that we've seen. I no. mean, I think like again speaking about Elsa Faust, like I fucking love Elsa Faust. Give her her own movie. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> that's what I'd like to do. So that's that's honestly my next goal is um. Is feature wise, I I'd like to do that. That's and that for me is super scary in terms of um, in terms of a writer. I haven't written an action movie before. I've written action action sequences. So having like big set pieces in a in a, a script that you know you're writing to is really exciting and and something I'm really excited excited to challenge myself with. And then as a director, you know, I haven't directed something that big uh-huh, before. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's something that I'm looking forward to try and convince people to give me money for. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Liz. And how, uh, what is the duration of Girl from Plainville? What is the run that people are in for with this show that is now out? So we premiere the first three episodes, March 29th, mm-hmm. and then we go weekly after that. It's eight episodes. So um, in my sleep-deprived brain, I can't tell you right. when we end, so we've, but we've it's got like a, we've got end like of April. A solid yeah. month and a half. A solid month and a half. A solid month and a half. And then, um, so first week of April is dropout finale. Whoa, yeah. Um, and it's on Hulu, so you got also can watch it forever because it's always there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Catch any of Liz Hanna's stuff that you can, you guys, um, on all the forums that you can find it. Liz, thank you so much for talking to me today. And I am so glad we finally got to close the loop on the conversation I've been intending to have with you for years. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you again to Liz Hanna. This was a real bucket list day for me, you guys. So congratulations to you for being able to join in on that conversation. Uh, In addition to checking out those shows, if you are a lover of fun movie conversations, you should definitely follow Liz on Twitter, where she is at It's Liz Hanna. Screenwriter Twitter can be a tumultuous place, but Liz Hanna is a bright spot among it. Um, essentially all the time. So you can find that uh, linked in our show notes. But right now, I have got my customary one quick thing before I go. And that today is concerning the movie opening ever wider and ever wider in each passing week. Everything, everywhere, all at once, which is written and directed by the duo Daniels. It stars Michelle Yeoh as an unsettled woman, a, a wife and a mother and a small business owner of a laundromat um, at a real point of struggle in her life. The They are being leaned on by the IRS for tax issues. Uh, she and her husband, played by uh, magnificently by Ki Hui Kwan, have not really been truly connected to one another in a long time. And she just doesn't understand her daughter, Joy, played magnetically by Stephanie Hsu. And there's so much audacity uh, and boldness and vibrance to this movie. But the little tiny thing uh, that really isn't so tiny in the end that I just wanted to shout out was, uh, to me, what I considered the surprising... um, subplot of of queer acceptance in this movie uh we're we're coming to a place now where there are more stories of queerness 
uh, readily available for people to consume. But historically, uh, stories of queerness tend to fall into two categories. It's either a coming out story or a story of (laughs) bashing and trauma, (laughs) or it is a combination of those two things. That is a lot of um, gay storylines that we get in cinema, particularly when they are movies not aligned with, you know, the new queer cinema movement or rebellious queer film, um, you know, upstart queer auteurs. Uh, The Daniels are a bold and brave pair. And there is so much wild and over-the-top happening in this movie. But the tenderness and the simplicity and really the elegance of the queerness of, of the character of Joy, again, played by Stephanie Hsu, It's just so lovely. Like, this is a family that is at odds with each other in so many ways. And there is this vast chasm between mother and daughter. And the queerness is not leveraged as this traumatic split between the two of them. It is simply two people um, who are too alike and too close to one another, but living very different lives who grew up in very different ways, just not understanding each other. It's a story of understanding and a story of empathy. And within that, we get to have just this nice, meaningful, authentic feeling detail that Joy is gay. And that isn't the fucking biggest problem she has between her and her mom. It is just a another area where... Her mom simply can't relate to her, but that's just one of a million ways that her mom simply can't relate to her. And it's nice, it's really beautiful, actually, for queerness to exist on screen as just a matter-of-fact part of a character's life that doesn't have to be the driving, defining force of who they are and why people don't like them or why people fight with them in a movie. It can just be true that that is the way a character is. And it's it's nice. You know, it, it, perhaps the youths find this a bit uh, common. Maybe Gen Z out there is like, so fucking what? There's gays all over the place now. I don't know what the big deal is. But I'm old enough to know, for one, uh, when we couldn't just find gay characters living their lives on screen um, for many reasons that had nothing to do with their sexuality. Um, and while it is a meaningful, obviously, detail about joy, it is not the cataclysmic, world-shattering, um, conflict-generating detail um, for for joy, who is at the center of the sort of epic interdimensional maelstrom that we are treated to within everything, everywhere, all at once. So that's just a really nice thing. And I really appreciate that that's a part of the story. And I will really continue to appreciate seeing queerness woven into the fabric of narrative works uh, in ways similar to this. So that's really nice. So that is my one quick thing before I go. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feeling Scene Pod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.